Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guests are two of the leaders of Lanker, John Lanker and Asaf Ari. John is the founder of Lanker, a brand strategist and communication artist who designs experiences that attract, inform, and invoke. He has worked with some of the largest brands in the world and has a reputation for being able to quickly zero in on a compelling marketing strategy that meets a client's overarching business needs. Saf is the CEO and a true entrepreneur in his own right. With a degree in accounting and finance, he has led many startups from zero to eight-figure businesses. Saf's strong mindset was forged in the Israeli military intelligence, 8200 alumni. At Lanker, he is a tough yet inspiring executive that's led the company to 10x growth through the pandemic. Lanker offers growth consulting services for the construction space and has some of the very interesting ideas and best practices for rapid growth. With all that said, John, Saf, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're, we're super excited. This is going to be fun. One, we all have all, all fancy mics. We just talked about that. So that's always a good thing. Uh, the sound quality should be premium on this episode. That's it. Brought to you by whoever makes our mics. <laughs> with, with that, let's go a little bit origin story. So John, take us through. Uh, why did you start Lanker? Tell us your story. How did you get into it? All that kind of fun stuff. Well, my start in business was I was a musician and I was trying to figure out a way to support buying music equipment back when I was 18 years old. <clears throat> and one thing led to another. I, I had a friend who, uh, when I was at music school, uh, he was making money, a lot of money doing radio commercials. And I thought, I can do that. And so I, I moved back to Minneapolis from Boston after my freshman year. And I uh, kind of went around to all the radio stations. And I said, look, I, I've never written a radio commercial, but if, uh, if you'll give me a chance, I'll, I'll write original music. And lo and behold, I got a chance. And that summer, I had about 100 radio commercials on the air in about four months. Now, I, I did get a, I won a 60 commercial contract with one client that helped. But, um, you know, I started realizing, wow, you know, I, there's, there's ways to take creativity and ideas and make money. And, uh, and so that was a start. It, it pivoted into, you know, early in my career, I, I, Got a lot of training from Apple working with the desktop publishing industry that pivoted into the internet that pivoted into, you know, solving business problems uh, for clients, uh, had a stint in the e-learning industry, uh, worked for a major advertising agency and decided to start my own interactive agency back in uh, 2001. 
and um, uh, worked that until uh, about 2012 and decided to become more of a complete uh, marketing consulting firm because I saw that our clients needed a heck of a lot more than a new website. They needed brand insight. They needed business strategy. So uh, I, I did that for a while on my own, but I realized I could be a lot more effective if I had some really talented people uh, join me. And back in 2018, I started hunting for uh, really qualified partners. By 2020, uh, Asaf came in as CEO. I uh, brought another ge- gentleman in as a, a, our chief strategy officer and another guy as our chief knowledge officer. And we've been helping small businesses grow ever since. That's awesome. How about you, Asaf? What's your story? My story uh, a little bit different. So I'm not coming from the music background. I didn't create any music, no commercials. You know, I, I, you know, when I started my career in the military, you mentioned I was in the technology side, and then when I got out of the military in Israel, I uh, went to study business and accounting. I practiced accounting for about five years. I did you know, pre-internship, internship, and then practiced. Uh, and, you know, my focus back then, I knew I am going to be an entrepreneur. I felt it. I, I knew I'm not, I'm a terrible employee. So I knew I'm not going to work for anybody. So I have to work for myself. So I, you know, instead of going to one of the big four uh, offices in accounting, I went to kind of a smaller firm that handles smaller clients because I wanted to see what small businesses look like inside and out. So I've done that for a few years, and then I uh, I came to the U.S. and you know I was thrown into a pretty much a construction company was um, slightly troubled, and had the pleasure to work through all the challenges and turn it around, and you know that got me excited. And since then I you know started a couple of other businesses that I'm you know some of them are still a partner in, and then when I left uh, kind of that that concrete shop that I was in. That's where John seeked the opportunity to grab me and uh, got me join Lanker. And, you know, Lanker was my vendor when I was in the concrete shop. So they, we hired Lanker to do the branding, the marketing, the activation. And, you know, so we had that relationship for quite a few years. And when, when he heard I'm, I'm living, he, you know, grabbed me instantly. And that's, you know. Then a new chapter started. No, definitely. So, uh, the, you know, obviously building scale, all about uh, those that are building and uh, AEC construction, all that space. So it sounds like there's a little bit of just normal synergy that kind of came from that. When you guys think of construction and marketing, which historically has not been there as much as some other industries, where, why do you find that there's just there's just a lot there's a lot of room for growth there and there's just a lot of opportunity to help businesses? Well, I could come at it from the vendor standpoint, but I think uh, Asaf's got a pretty compelling story to tell from the inside, so I'll, I'll let him start. Sure. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. You when I went to school, I I did not like the marketing piece. It was too, it was too um, theoretical and not practical. And when I actually became a business owner, I realized, and I, but I, I was a good student. I, I got really good grades at marketing. And finally, you know, when I became an, a business owner and a partner, 
I, I saw how those models and those theories actually work. In, I do care about what a consumer thinks. I do care about SWOT analysis. I do care about brand positioning. It, it, it's amazing how, you know, when you, and I was lucky to have that background, right? Because the average contractor don't, don't have that background. They don't think about brand positioning. They think about, you know, if, if they're lucky, they think about gross margin. <laughs> Most of them just think about payroll this Friday, right? The, the probably eight out of 10 contractors think about payroll, you know, every, every single day and collecting checks on Friday morning to make payroll Friday afternoon. Um, but I, I was lucky enough to look at it as a business and say, okay, what, you know, how do we grow this thing? And I, I was also lucky enough to get introduced to John and get him as a, you know, as a, as a, partner from a from a vendor relationship and from a friendship relationship right and we used to bounce you know a lot of ideas off each other over and above our engagement and it was a big supportive and of that growth so you know and then seeing our competition because when i joined the business it was barely a million and a half dollars uh, they used to be bigger and then they shrunk uh after the recession of 2008 and, You're talking about the you know, concrete company. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, and then, yeah, I thought the entire everything I say here is about the inside, right? You know, so they shrunk to essentially, you know, go, going from eight, eight and a half million dollars to one million dollars, almost going down to zero, effectively, right? And you know, going through and rebuilding the business back up, and you know, seeing us versus some of the competition, and what we have done versus what they have not done. And how we rebuilt the business in seven years, we got back to $14.5 million. So doubled what it was for many, many years. The business was established in 1973, I believe. So it it never was more than $8 million a year. And then how in seven years, we're like every year doubling, 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 doubling. Actually, the year when I left, I did a presentation uh, in the spring of how we grew. And I gave kind of a funny reason for year over year what was the... What was the reason for the movement? But yeah, it was it was fun and challenging, and I will not do it again. But I definitely saw why a lot of the businesses, you know, fail because they they don't take that risk. They don't think about the business from a business standpoint. They don't think about the consumer. They think about how great they are and their product. They have a lot of arrogancy there and just think about the you know making payroll on friday and that those are those are limiting beliefs that you know hold hold the businesses you know from success essentially well i gotta assume that every year of growth was a different commercial that uh, john had written uh by himself right now um, we were the con <laughs> 60 60 commercials so. yeah let's say it, that was it those are the 60 no uh so that's the inside of it what what about on the outside john what did that look like uh from your perspective well, anytime you get invited to the table to discuss a business that is in a in a major transition, especially if it's on its heels, um, you know, it's it's a very careful situation, right? Because on the one hand, they want to know that when they bring you in as a partner, you're you're going to be able to come with ideas and a roadmap to climb out. But on the other hand, they want to know that you're able to listen and that you don't think that you know everything and that you are going to be patient enough and, and be diligent enough and take the time to really understand their specific situation and needs. And so building trust like that, it takes time. 
uh, it takes um, outside of business meeting conversations, you know, uh, it takes, um, you know, going through um, moments where maybe you didn't quite understand it correctly. And you have to say, you know, you have to call it what it is. It's like, okay, um, my initial analysis wasn't quite on the mark. Let's take a step back and reevaluate and, and, and do a course correction. And anytime you, you work with a business as long as we did, you know, like almost a decade, you know, to be part of, of growth like that. Uh, I think the best way to put it when it works, it works because it's a collaboration. When it works, it works because you as a, as a marketing firm become an extension of the executive team of the client. And they feel like they, they're, you're not like a vendor that's out to kind of, you know, grab as much money from them as you can. Um, you become a, a partner in their growth and they rely on you. And so, you know, when you're completely authentic and and you're willing to put all your cards on the table with the client and and decide that if we're going to win, we're going to win together, right? There's no such thing as as us winning and you losing or you winning and us losing. We're going to, or, or your, you know, your audience, your customers losing. We're all going to figure out a way to win together. And that takes more reflection. It takes more patience. It takes delayed gratification. Um, maybe you could call all of those ideas maybe a little bit stoic, you know, the stoic mentality, the stoic mindset, not letting the big emergencies and the fires that are blowing up in your face every day shake you from the course that you have set out. You know, in our business, we're creating strategic plans, not just strategic marketing plans, but strategic growth plans. And so, you know, when you when you set something in motion, sure, there's going to be adjustments. There's going to be new information that makes you, um, you know, tweak things. But generally speaking, there aren't fundamental changes. You, you've got that right. It's a matter of, you know, adopting that stoic mindset and and staying the course through the wind and the waves and and the struggles and just having enough confidence that your values and your principles will carry you through to the end. And in the case of uh, the client that Asaf's referring to you know, over the long haul, they were able to achieve, you know, pretty phenomenal growth. And it wasn't just that they were at 8 million and they went down to almost zero and then they went up to 14 and a half million. It's that they went from a business that was solely, almost exclusively focused on the commercial side and they rebuilt their business probably 80% on the residential side. So it was it was a completely different mindset. Building the brand, they had no brand. You know, reengineering it, uh, creating you know a new company name, an identity, a message, a value proposition. It starts by making everybody internally believers before you can make the audiences believers. So that's that's a little bit about um, the external perspective, looking in at a client in that kind of situation. It, it makes sense that the partnership. Uh work so well uh you you hit on a couple uh sto- you, you mentioned stoicism a couple times uh, and behind you is a beautiful painting uh that i i immediately i think the first thing i said you're like what is this painting behind you and then you're like oh no you need to meet us off like he's like total total stoic belief so i definitely want to dive into that uh, a little bit more so for listeners that are not watching can you uh t- tell them what the painting is behind you and why sure, it's impactful it's a- to you <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a painting. Uh, it's called the Death of Socrates. I can't remember the artist, but in 
in the, you know, Socrates famously was sentenced to death for corrupting the youth. And anybody who's read, you know, the works of Plato, you know, Plato's the one who who brought the story of Socrates to life because Socrates never wrote. And he was out there basically trying to pursue virtue and and basically ruffling feathers and and making people who felt like they were pretty smart feel like they were pretty dumb. So people started to resent that and they decided to, you know, put him on kind of a, a circus trial and condemn him. And so this this scene is a scene where they hand him the hemlock to drink and he's going to have to drink it and he's going to die and all his friends are grieving. And um, you can kind of see at the at the foot of the bed um, is an old man and that's Plato. Well, Plato was actually also the one, I think, who's handing him the hemlock. So in the scene, Plato is recalling back to when Socrates died. So that's what this is supposed to represent. And the reason that I have it on the wall is it it reminds me that in this world, in this life, sometimes the people who are pursuing virtue are the ones that, you know, the establishment wants to put to death. They want to kill the, the stuff that has no life is super jealous of the things that do have life. And as a, as a marketing company, uh, well, a company focused on marketing, we're a management consulting firm with a with an emphasis on marketing. Marketing has a really bad reputation as being, you know, a source of propaganda and you know, candy coating lies, you know, promoting a bunch of baloney. And yeah, I'm not afraid to say bullshit, but bullshit really isn't the problem, right? Because bullshit smells like it bad, and people smell smells it like go, bullshit, <laughs> right? They don't want that. You know, but what is baloney? Why do we say it's a bunch of baloney? Because baloney is taking the worst parts of the meat, the parts that you would normally throw away, putting a bunch of flavor into it, packaging it, and and selling it as if it's a it's like a really awesome thing. That's what a bunch of baloney is. Like you basically have dressed up the worst stuff and you're you're hoisting on us and making us consume it as if it was like really this great thing. So that's what marketing has a reputation for, is for hoisting a bunch of baloney onto the public. And we have decided that that is not what we're interested in. We believe that businesses need to grow. They need to influence people to um, say yes to them, to buy into their value proposition, and and to join uh, whatever the business is on a journey to where everybody benefits. And, And that's the kind of work we want to do. We want to pick worthy clients that are out there creating value in the world it's and they need a little help to uh, make things more efficient more effective uh, they need help communicating their value proposition to the world so that the brand perception people has really does align with the strategy uh, they need help scaling and there's different types of business challenges they face at different levels of growth and we wanted to be kind of that best friend that guide that joins these businesses on the journey dials into what they actually need in the moment and just helps them with that. Doesn't try to sell them a bunch of needless services so that they can make a bunch of money selling services. That makes us, you know, really sick, the idea of that. We're more like, you know, your your big brother who's been there and done that, who wants to see you succeed, you know, and, and we want to be a part of that journey. So that's that's kind of the stoic part of this. Um, that's where I come to it from now. Asaf has come to it from a different place from a different perspective, and it's just sort of uh, coincidental that, or maybe not, that that we both kind of have met here around 
stoicism, but maybe Asaf could talk a little bit about from the business standpoint, what, what stoic principles have meant to him. Yeah. You know, being an entrepreneur and, and a partner in, in, in few, in, in few businesses at the same time, you know, it's, it's stressful, especially in that early stages. And as you go through growth and as you become, you know, you attract troubles to you, right? You, you do, at some point, they're going to be a pissed off client. At some point, they're going to be a pissed off in union organization or two or five. And you, <laughs> no, no hints. But, you, you know, you, there's going to be a lot of stress. There are going to be situations when you, you know, you work on a, on a big project and it doesn't turn out the way it needs to be. And the client is not happy. And you may have issue with collection. You may have issue with a full-on work you counted on. And it creates stress. And stress that really affects a person. And for me, I was finding, I was looking for ways to manage that stress and, and, and accept and act instead of being paralyzed and, you know, like a drug addict, just work for the next Friday so I can make payroll. Like, again, that was the mentality when I joined. When I joined the business, that that was the mentality is, you know, we're working for Friday morning to go collect checks and make payroll. And then I realized a lot of other businesses that are similar have the same mentality. And I, you know, I didn't want to accept that. So I, you know, I needed to control that, the, those powers that overcome you, that, that fear and stress. And when something goes wrong, you know, you, you you can you can get upset and fire someone, or you can, you know, get upset for a few few seconds and then calm yourself down and then take action. And you know, I for me, where where it comes, besides the fact that it relaxes and when there's a difficult business situation, it helps keep me connected to the here and the now and the reality. It also help manage next steps. You know, manage the level of risk the tolerance to risk and 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 reflect into the organization make sure pe- other people are not afraid the, the the team members the staff the employees are not afraid to make a mistake if there's a mistake we'll fix it right don't make the same mistake twice though the fix will be slightly different at that point but um, but don't be afraid to make a mistake one time right and and learn and took take every situation as a learning situation and you know that journey really got i mean it opened my eyes to a different way of living right and when i was first introduced to it is actually and i was i think it was my first year in the u.s moving here and i read uh, steve jobs uh, biography by what's his name isaac uh, walter isaacson walter isaacson right? yeah he writes all the good bi- biographies walter isaacson and steve jobs got you know, got exposed to um, to a book that you know. At least that's what it says there that he signed a hotel room uh, in a drawer in a hotel room, and it was a uh, you know beginner's mind. And you know, I read that book. It's a difficult book to read, and I since then I read it probably every every you know at the time it was every few months now probably once a year I'll refresh. It's very thin, but it's very difficult to understand. But it got me. It got it, it opened my eyes to a different way of looking at the world and a different way of thinking 
that since then I developed and developed and adopted in, in different ways. I, what I have to say, as far as stoicism, so, I mean, I can kind of hear it in how you kind of progress, right? And I think even the mentality, like the huge mentality change of like freak out mode, right? Going for the next Friday versus now, like it's not that. It's like a complete opposite of that. And I, even when I could tell, uh, and I don't know if listeners can hear it, but I could tell just by watching you that you were actually getting hyped up when you were kind of remembering what it was like. I could tell you were remembering what it was like back then. You were getting kind of hyped up. Then the transition to what it is now, you got a lot calmer. Okay. It's a lot easier to make decisions being calm than the constant stress, right? Absolutely. Uh, and it requires... I would say a lot of awareness to be able to do that. Would you and, say? And I think that, and I think that, sorry, but I, I think that when you can control it, you can use stress as a tool. Now you can control the stress to motivate you because you can control it, right? Because you're anchored, right? And you can, then you, when I was talking about tolerate to risk, this is not meaning you don't like risk. You can develop a true tolerance for risk. Risk that you're not afraid taking, and you're not afraid failing, because you're that anchored, and you and 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 you know that even if you made a mistake, you will work your way through that mistake. Even if the gamble was not, the you know, if it was a mistake, you'll know how to get out of the situation and still make it better. I couldn't have put that in better words. So I want to, Justin, unless you've got something else you want to add to what, that. One thing I think that. Uh, relates to this idea very seemingly what I have a question about is so you know John you start this company literally has your name in it right there's there's something to be said about this and you say hey I'm going to step aside and let Asaf be the CEO which most people would say well that's it like you're the, the top the top honcho there so when we think of leaving egos at the door and doing what's right for uh, the bigger goal Take us through that. Like, take us through that decision-making process. When did you realize that, like, I, maybe I can't do this by myself. Maybe I need, you, you have multiple partners, uh, stop being one of them. What, like, ex explain that thought process to us. Well, let me, let me take the first part of our conversation around stoicism sure. and, and, and make it a metaphor for answering the question you just asked. When you think about what we're saying about stoicism on an interpersonal level, is that we we basically have the human condition and the things that we struggle with and the things that are kind of wired into all of us as humans. And that stoicism becomes a set of principles that you can kind of confer onto life. You, you can kind of put it on like clothing to, uh, to wear a set of ideas that can guide your life as a person. And in the same way, as a business, there's, there's a certain set of conditions and things that that all of us have to face and you know there's there's basically six responsibilities that every business owner has okay and i'm going to list them for you right now all right <laughs> get that pen first, and paper out <laughs> the first one is to attract more attention right to attract attention to your business the second one is to convert that attention into sales Right. So to convert prospects into customers, 
on an increasing basis. The third is to maximize your revenue. The fourth is to minimize your expenses. The fifth is to retain customers long enough to maximize the customer lifetime value. And the sixth one is to make the world better. I think those are the six responsibilities of every business person. And as we face those responsibilities and we struggle with the pressures of everyday life in our businesses, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a set of principles, just like stoicism can help us and come to our aid as individuals, wouldn't it be awesome if there were a set of principles that could come to our aid as businesses? And, and the truth is that there, there, there is a set of principles, right? There is this set, and this set isn't perfectly defined. It's not one philosopher versus another. It is something that we think about like the, the best practices in business that have all kind of fought and competed to be at the top of, of the hill of relevance so that any attentive business owner at any given time, as he or she is trying to grapple with those six responsibilities, can focus on those principles that have kind of worked their way up and become best practices and, and put those to work towards helping their business grow, to help attract more attention, convert more prospects to customers, maximize revenue, minimize expenses, retain customers longer, make the world better. And so Lenker really, at, at the end of the day, what we are is, is a, a group of people that's focused on mastering those principles so that we can help our clients deploy those ideas maximize the effectiveness of their business to make it most efficient to to make sure that the the image they're projecting to the world and the message aligns with their strategy you know the brand strategy alignment we call that and they they take they they, they put things in motion in such a way that it doesn't all of, fall apart the minute that that things grow and change and and anybody listening to this who is a contractor or Anywhere connected with a construction business knows that, man, the minute you think you figured it out and now your revenue is going up, it seems like all the rules go out the window. Like nothing that I did last year is working this year. And Asaf could talk for hours about why that's the case. And, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about are, you know, what are the things that make a, 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 a contracting business go wrong? What are the things that happen that, that destroy opportunity, that derail uh, sound progress. And, and, and what of these principles can we use to prevent that? So, you know, we, we exist to bring that awareness and, and to help our clients avoid pitfalls and to get to the end result faster without having to reinvent the wheel and learn all the stuff we've spent decades learning. But, you know, Asaf is, is really great at talking about the practical side of how this actually operates. So, how soft. Much time, how much time do we have? You know what? Give us, <laughs> give us, is give us some real examples, right? I, I think, you know, give us some real examples from your experience uh, that people could relate to. Sure. First of all, 
truly understand your business. And, you know, when I joined the concrete shop, there was there were essentially zero systems. The, the estimator was the salesperson. Doesn't matter what the project was, a, a $2 million project or a $2,000 apron, right? And that person also ran production and ran the crews. And inventory was out of control. It didn't even, I mean, when I say out of control, yes, they had a lot of bad inventory, old inventory, but they didn't even know what the inventory they had. Going in and asking, okay, what's on the shelves? They tell me, oh, there's some acid stains, there's some powder, there's some, like, no, no, what, what's on the shelves? How, how many dollars are on the shelves? I don't know, right? So that, that, that shows you there's no grip over the business, right? So, you know, the first thing is, a real example is, you go in and you start diving into each department. And that's what I've done. And I dive into every department and I created the department. I created the things that I've built. And I'm saying I, but it, it, it's me and other great people around. And it's people that came into those positions. But even if that position was the same person at start, we created that as a department. So you got sales. You got uh, customer service. You got production. You got warehouse. You got um, you got the field, you got the drivers, the field, we created demo, you know, laborers, finishers, carpenters, right? So, so there's a structure that that's the first thing that, that I've done. Cause you said, give me real examples. So I created those structures and I was laughed at, you know, for a lot of the things I put stickers with the value of what's the inventory. Like before people used to pick up Paint brushes, you know, with the epoxy coatings and other coatings, so you have paint. I put stickers of how much they cost. And people thought I was a penny pincher. I said, no, I just want you to know what it costs when you pull it off the shelf. When you go in the morning and you pick up $700 worth of supplies and you come back with, you know, $500 worth of extra receipts, I want you to know how much, how much, how much money was spent. I'm not telling you don't use it or use it, but that awareness, you know, create awareness in the warehouse, create awareness in inventory and you know we, I, I built an inventory manager and right? I brought I brought that gal in and she started count inventory get everything ready for the guys in the morning so we took we took control over that she used to order ahead and we we moved to as close as possible to just-in-time delivery right we have a, a job coming in today and we order materials for that job as long as it makes sense and it comes in, you know, a few days from now, and the job goes on the schedule. So we created we created a scheduling department, right? So now it's not the 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 salesperson, which is also the estimator, which is also the production manager and the project manager. Now it goes to a different department, and it goes on the calendar. You, you cannot scale because you can see the. I I was able to see the pain when a person is capable of selling 1.2, 1.5 million dollars worth of concrete and coatings. But instead, they're selling $300,000 and they're worn off, right? Well, because you're wearing too many hats and you cannot specialize. So I, I separated. That separation created the scalability, right? And then from, you know, I, I could, John said I can talk for hours. You, you tell me when to stop. But, you know, sales management. It had physical files. There was no digital tracking. Follow-up was very random, right? So... So systemizing it, I brought CRM. Again, people said I was crazy. We don't need a CRM, they said, right? Now we have structure. Now through the CRM, 
you know, I was very, I was, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say Nazi, but I was a little Nazi with managing the CRM. And if you run a CRM properly, and a lot of the um, construction uh, project management tools have built in CRMs, right? Build a trend. I don't know if we're doing advertisement mm-hmm. here or not, but a lot of those, most of them have service tied and house call pro, whatever, you know, a small trade, a large builder, the, most of them have built in CRM. Most contractors don't use it properly either, right? So it's another tool, and ah, I, I just, I just need to track the context. No, I mean, I'm just managing the CRM properly. You'll know for for the for the 20, you know, when I left, it was 30, 40 leads a day. When I joined, it was one lead a week, right? But when you when you have 10 leads coming in in a day, and you know your CRM in and out, and you really know it. You know that those 10 leads worth, you know, you're going to convert, let's say, four of them, you know, three and a half, four of them, exactly on average 17 days from now, and they're going to be exactly averaging $7,300 with, you know, $3,500 gross margin in them. But you can't get there unless you're able to build those systems and invest in scalability. Right now, it's expensive to do that. That was I was lucky enough to have the accounting background, and I can see. I, I always move my hand like this because that represents the gears moving. The business have gears, and the way you expand, you add more gears. Those gears are are people that are taking a position. Those gears are systems. Those gears are outside vendors and contractors, and they they help you expand the business. So I always do this because that's the gears are spinning and they're spinning each other and they have to be synced, they have to be oiled and you have to be smart of how you position them for, you know, because if you position here or here it will affect how, you know, the amount of power you need to spin everything else. The size of it will affect, you know, spinning everything else. Like think about how your car moves and switching between gears, it's their size, determine how much power the car have in different speeds, right? So it's the same idea. You got to be smart about, do I need a little gear? Do I need a big gear? Is it a small investment, low risk? Is it a big investment, high risk? You know, when is the right time to add that larger gear? When should you throw a little gear in there? So that's how you, so that's my real example of diving in, mapping the business, understanding each department. And I brought, I was brought in as an accountant, right? But mapping, and I end up building production, building sales, building marketing, building accounting, and it's fun when you when you do that. It's actually really fun, and when you see it succeed, it's really fun. If you don't, if you, if it fails, I'm sure it's a little less fun. But. I was about to say, yeah, the the fail side might not be as fun. Hey everybody, Justin here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As you know, Will and I are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people, process, and technology. If that's something to get you all jazzed up too, then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the little bell so you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildandscale.net slash guest. Now, back to the episode. That does bring up the question though. So you're building all these systems, these processes, 
what you know where's the chicken or the egg like is it an ops uh thing that needs to be built first is it a sales and marketing thing that needs to be built first are we trying to like build well, it you, all you, at once which is it becomes so overbearing for uh, a contractor owner anybody well here's here's the real answer to that do you want to take the risk of having to figure that all out and roll the dice and and discover if it's the chicken or the egg you know that's that's really why we exist is is to kind of you know, eliminate a lot of the risk because of of the general lack of experience people have with business, right? They don't know, you know, how do you learn? You learn from experience and and you learn from success and you learn from failure. And, you know, do you want to risk all of that in your business? Now, we started out, you know, with a concrete client at Lenker, um, but it's multiplied, you know, many times over, you know, different specialties, you know, roofing, remodeling, builders, you know, but also, you know, we work with, so, uh, we have a client that that creates a software platform for the construction industry uh, to help run all these things. So we're, we're dealing, you know, with, with the local contractors all the way up to international platforms. And um, we're even working with some of the, the biggest heavy equipment manufacturers in the world. So what we are focused on across from the the, the person just trying to break a million to a multi-billion dollar company, the thing that's the common thread is that every single one of those opportunities is run by somebody who's got a set of goals that they need to reach. And they haven't quite yet got to the next set of goals. And now, you you know, going back to the question you asked earlier, which I didn't answer, I kind of gave some background then never answered your question about what was it like bringing in partners, you know, the reason that I decided to do that was because I realized there were limitations to what I knew and that there was only so much I could be an expert at within my own zone of excellence and that I could be kind of a, a jack of all trades and, and be kind of okay in a bunch of things. But when you're, when you have clients that are really entrusting you with the responsibility of guiding them and they're, they're going to rely on what you say, I wanted to make sure that as, as, as we were growing, that we had people in place that were real powerhouses when it came to things like what Asaf's been talking about. How do you run a small business and grow it from failing to, you know, you know, nearly $15 million in seven years? We, we've got one of our partners, you know, ran a multi-billion dollar enterprise and was responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising spend. And then if you think of those as two bookends, any client we have, you can kind of dial them into you know, somewhere between those two points. And at that point, you know, sometimes the the scrappy kind of background that that Asaf comes at from from as an entrepreneur, combined with sort of the the insight of somebody in the executive suite, right, the C-suite, sometimes the scrappy guy from the construction background who knows small business and entrepreneurism is going to have the key insight for a multi-billion dollar corporation because they just don't think that way, right? And sometimes the reverse is true. Sometimes the person that comes from that corporate background can see just a super simple number story or something that's going to absolutely provide the key insight to help a small business grow to get to the next thing. So I brought people in because I realized that, that I need to take my own medicine. I need to be listening to others 
guide this business. And, you know, frankly, I, I went from, you know, ups and downs, up and downs, kind of hovering around the same revenue for years. And as soon as I brought my partners in and thanks a lot to Asaf, you know, we've had over somewhere between 10 and 15 X growth in the last three years. And, and it's awesome. because it's because, you know, if I'm going to give myself any credit, it's having enough self-awareness to realize that the most I can hope to be is a really strong position player on a team of really great people. And if we can all have that set of principles that we were talking about, we're going to experience our greatest potential. And, and that's really why we're here. We're here to help our clients find their greatest potential through really smart thinking that they don't have to spend their lifetime reading books that they do- download on their Kindle and, and hope that they figure it out before they go bankrupt. <laughs> but we can help accelerate their growth and help them achieve those those six responsibilities in the best way possible. So hopefully that answered something. Uh, I know I can talk for quite a bit of time based on one no. question. <laughs> no, that's that's actually beautiful. I think of, and I'm going to butcher the quote, the Phil Jackson quote, talking about teams, right? And saying like the greatest part of the team is the individual contribution, but the the power comes from the team, right? The individuals, that's where they get their biggest power is from the actual team. So having the awareness big i did not expect awareness to come up so so frequently during this podcast episode but it is so true right awareness is uh it's an equalizer when it comes to growing a business and scaling it so uh kudos to to both of you i I would say the biggest barrier the biggest barrier that's common to everybody is fear of losing control especially people who start small businesses in the construction industry this is my baby this is my thing i'm the boss and I am afraid, I'm not going to share it with anybody. I'm very stingy about it. And really, when you talk about having that kind of control and you're, you're gripping it, it, it's it's almost like you're in handcuffs then. You, you've made yourself a prisoner to your own limitations. And what happened to me in my business is I let go of control in a reasonable way with trusted people who have, who have proven their worth. And in the reward that I got was freedom. I got freedom as a result. My life is so much more enjoyable and my career is so much more enjoyable because the freedom that trusting worthy people has brought me. So um, that's, that's probably the biggest, like get up in the morning, brush your teeth, look yourself in the eye and ask yourself, are you my biggest enemy? Are you the thing that's holding me back? And, and if you think, yeah, you, you kind of are, you know, then, then maybe you're ready for that first step and, and to find whether it's another person to come in as a partner in your business, uh, whether it's taking the people who are already your employees and, and maybe trusting them a little bit more and giving them a chance, or whether it's bringing in people like, like a team like Lenker uh, to give advice and guide, you know. Um, one of those things is going to probably give you maximize the probability of your success. It's not going to be the thing that, oh, what if I lose? What if I lose? No, it's going to be the thing that, that multiplies your likelihood of success. So, you know. It actually reminds me, we're, we're an EOS company and one of the concepts is letting go of the vine because that's that's what happens, right? Entrepreneurs, you just hold on to that vine and keep holding on because you're scared to give give that trust or the responsibility to others, uh, internal, external, however that works. But it is absolutely that you good you are handcuffed because you can't let go. Like you can't let go of that thing, and that that's actually a beautiful analogy. So thank you, John. 
So we talked a little That's bit what I about, live for. We we talked a little bit about uh, awareness here, uh, a little a lot. A little uh, bit. Uh, <laughs> in your opinion, would you say that people are aware enough to actually realize that? No. Ah, so no. you so you said look in the mirror. So I'm just going <laughs> to extrapolate here just for a second. Uh, you, you know, said look in the mirror, but if people aren't aware, how do they gain that self-awareness so that they can actually look in the mirror and answer that honest, not just honestly, right? It's honest with the extra awareness that they didn't have before. They were being honest with themselves the entire time until they saw something new. I think the name for it is the Jahari window where you know, so, you know, so, yeah. someone on the outside knows something about you that you don't know. And that's how you gain extra awareness. Right. No, I, I earlier in the interview t- today, I wanted to say that business owners are, they're great liars, but not, they're not doing it for, they're not trying to purposely lie, but they're lying about their situation. They're lying to themselves mainly more, you know, most of more than anyone else. They're lying to themselves about their current situation. If the bank account is low, you know what they do? They just don't look at it and it will solve itself out. Right. If the jobs aren't performing, they're just not going to look at the job costing. It will fix itself. Right. So we're great liars and all of us and probably myself, too. Right. Um, we we lie to ourselves more than anything else, and that's that's a big limiting belief that we have. And it's not really a limiting belief with I don't believe in myself enough. It's just a, a limiting principle. But the second you're aware that that your margins aren't good enough, the second you look at your bank account, you realize it's not as heavy enough, right? And uh, why is it happening? Well, I have sales. Okay, look at the sales. How am I doing on those jobs? You actually dive in. But I noticed when when I did job casting for salespeople, right? If it's not good, ah, I, I know this job. I don't want to look at it. Like, no, because it's not good, we need to look at it. You know, I'll give you a pass on the first one, but don't repeat that mistake again. Understand where you missed on that bit, right? Don't ignore it and say it's, it's a one time. Understand truly where it's from. You know, what caused that job to not perform? Because there's so many different, everybody thinks it's not, it, it didn't make enough money because it wasn't bid right. Not necessarily. That's one option. That's one option, right? It, you know, managing the client, uh, the product that was sold, having the right crew performing the job. You know, was it, was, did anyone take risk on the weather that day or that week? Right? Is it the right product for the region? I mean, there's so many different ways, and I and I could probably go on and on why a job could not perform. Bidding and estimating is only one of them, right? So it's that's that's the awareness. It's stop lying to yourself with oh the job lost money because blah 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 blah. The customer is a piece of work, and you're a professional salesperson and you didn't know you you've dealt with thousands of thousands of prospects and customers. Because I know Mark, our, we had five salespeople and 4,000 leads a year. So they were dealing with 800 prospects a year. Over three years, I dealt with 3,200 prospects. So you, you 
this is three years. And, and those people were selling for 20 years. I mean, they're dealing with tens of thousands of prospects over the years. And you cannot, you tell me you cannot see the personality of the buyer when you meet with them that you hear now post-selling blaming the customer? No, that's, that's a lie. You blame yourself for not reading the situation properly. And then you learn from it. And next time with a similar buying persona, you act a little bit differently. You had yourself on the change orders and the scope of the work. Writing the proposal will protect you more than more than the pricing the proposal, right? So, but you can't get there if you don't really, you know, dive into those situations. John said earlier, you learn from your wins, you learn from your losses. I I think that what I, my personal philosophy, you make a check mark on the wins, you learn from your losses, right? If you go and and play, you know, if we play heads or tails and I won, have I learned that playing heads on tails is is a good way of winning, you know, gambles or arguments? No. Right? I I, I didn't learn from it, but I could learn from the opposite. I can, if I lose, I can learn that oh, statistically it's a 50-50 game. So if I pay, play infinity amount of times, I'll break even at the end. So why am I wasting my time on infinity amount of games when in infinity I'll break even, right? So that's what I – so I learn from the loss. But if I win, I'll just get addicted to it, right? So that's my personal belief. Uh, it, it, I don't – that's how I carry myself and hopefully influence the businesses I'm involved in a little bit. But you, you learn from your losses and you make checkmark on the wins, Right, and you showcase the losses, and you talk about the losses. And that's the mirror you were talking about. That's the window you were talking about. You look through those bad situations. That's how you get better. There's one thing I want to say. Um, going back to what you were talking about a minute ago, is I, you know, I think there's basically um, three kinds of people that you'll encounter out there running businesses. You've got the person who is super stubborn. And they refuse to face reality and they will, they will stick with their plan until they hit rock bottom. And then sometimes out of hitting rock bottom, they will come to their senses and want to listen and be teachable for maybe the first time in their life because they've maybe lost everything. I, I've been there in my life, right? Three times in the last seven days. <laughs> and they're, they're laughing. The soft's not laughing. Um, <laughs> the soft's it, not laughing. It, 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 you know, it, it happens at different levels of life, right? So, the other extreme is a person who they're reading all the business books. They're determined not to be that person. They're determined to make all the right decisions. They want to be super careful. They, they they don't they, they they see the obvious character flaws of the person who's just kind of driving their business into the ground and and they're kind of mean and stubborn and you know whatever. But there can also be stubbornness in that. It's a, it's a different kind of stubbornness. It's it's more of a intellectualized stubbornness, and it's a thing. It's 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 a basic the the fallacy of thinking that it. It's not me. It's them. I'm not that way. But but sometimes it really does take an outside perspective to help you see the truth. But 
Rarely do we want to know. Like if I, if you can think of all, anybody listening to this show, think of the friend that you have out of all your friends that if you called them and said, here's what I'm thinking about my life. Here's what I'm struggling with, with my business. Here's what I'm facing. Tell me the truth. What do you really think I should do? And you know, they will. Why haven't you called them? Because you don't want to know. You don't want them to tell you to not do this. Is this is definitely me and Asaf? There's things that I want to do. Usually, it has to do with spending money, and I and it's like, should I do it? <laughs> Asaf could just set up a special phone number for me where I call it, and the voicemail he just says, "John, no," and then I could just hear it officially. If it's, you know, when it's when it comes to spending money, because I'm always like, you know, Asaf said this the other day, you're a sales guy. You're really easy to sell to. You want to just buy everything, you know, and it's true. <laughs> so, so, but, but for me, it's like, okay, there's those two people. Then there's the person that's kind of in the middle and they're not super stubborn either way. And sometimes those people, maybe they're not the most exciting personality in the room, but you know, they've kind of watched and they've seen the guy beat their head against the rock bottom and, and fail or struggle or lose their family because of the pressure you put your your family through or the other person who's beating their head against the wall trying to move forward and they think they're so smart and they don't want to be that and sometimes those people that that you would say they're not the exciting person but sometimes those people make the best decisions because they're just sitting there calculating they're sitting there watching and observing they're doing the math and they say you know what the highest probability for me to move forward is to listen to others to, to have a set of principles I believe in, but be flexible enough to adapt and make changes. And who can, you know, how can I learn from what I see these other fo- folks doing, but how can I also learn from just good ideas that other people can bring me to? And I'm not saying that the other two types of people can't win, but I'm telling you, if you're listening to this right now and, and you're more of the personality of that middle of the road person and you're competing and you see people in the market who are these others, that actually could be a really big market opportunity for you is to say, how if I could make just the most smart decisions possible for me based on where I am and where I want to go, and all these other people are out there on some ego trip, you know, it's like a tortoise and hare thing. You know, maybe three years down the road, you're the market leader. You know what I'm saying? You weren't the most exciting but you're just super smart and super humble and super teachable. And you, and you had really good discernment, you know, and you were really wise. And, and maybe that brings us back to the stoic mindset. That actually, both, both of you, as you were explaining this, I was thinking of um, the example. Everybody knows that not all money is created equally. There's, there's, there's money to be had that's on the table that you should not pick up because it's going to hurt you in the long run. Like we, like every business owner in the world has heard that before, at least. And even when you say, I don't want to work with assholes, right? Like you, you say you're very open about that. They will still then do that thing. They will still go against the thing they're saying. And I, it kept replaying in my brain over and over again while you were both speaking. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is absolutely what you're talking about. In comparison Thanks, to the person that sits, sits, sits no, I was I wasn't calling anybody <laughs> out, uh, but in in comparison to that person does sit in the middle and is taking that that feedback, taking that methodical approach uh, that doesn't sound sexy and doesn't sound exciting, 
But, you know, five, 10 years later, it's like, wow, where did that company come from? It, you're exploding. So no, that that's that's awesome. I, I love that. I'll tell you, it's a little funny. Hopefully the relevant parties aren't going to listen to this. But I was, I, I own some real estate and I'm buying partners out of a building that I own. And part of the transaction, I needed to get a lien waiver from a contractor that did a major uh, restoration project. And it's a little bit of a hostile contractor. And there was no way that it would, under normal circumstances, give me a final lien waiver so it can close. So I, I had a check for $93,000 and I show up to his office and I said, well, here's the document I need to sign. Otherwise, I walk away. And he, lo and behold, he signs it. And I'm telling my partner, he's like, how did you get him to sign it? I said, well, there's no contractor in the world that you come with a $93,000 check and I'm not going to sign whatever the fuck you're going to give me. Pardon. I'm sorry for square, swearing <laughs> in the show. I just made it. Just, <laughs> whatever you're going to put in front of a contractor, doesn't matter how well they do, they will sign if you give them a $93,000 check. And it's right for even a $10,000 check. It just, it's unbelievable. And yeah, a person that haven't finished, haven't got paid in full, haven't finished the job, gave me a full and final lien waiver. And is a little hostile because I had a check. So that is mistake that he did as a business owner. He should have never given me that. Now, he's not going to get screwed. He's going to get paid in full. Um, he'll be taken care of. But nonetheless, he should have never signed that deal but that's the issue yeah. with most contractors they they when there's money in front of them because that's what you were going after you know mm -hmm. i'm not gonna do business with assholes i'm not gonna do business with assholes asshole with a ten thousand dollar check oh yeah yeah let's go i love the business I, it's, they should say, I'm not going to do business with an asshole unless they have a check in their hand. Yeah, that, that's more, <laughs> not smart, but more accurate of a statement, yeah, I certainly say. Exactly. <laughs> not all assholes are created equal. Not all assholes are <laughs> created equal. All right. I think I'm a little bit of an asshole, but, you know, I think I'm an asshole. You're, you're recovering better. asshole, Asaf. I'm recovering If you think asshole. about his name, you know, Asaf, A-S-S -S is what it begins with. <laughs> All right. On that note, I'm going to ask a final question because I think this is the best place to ask. Wait, this was go... the most stoic moment we had in the whole show. So let's just savor <laughs> yes, that. Absolutely. absolutely. If you could go back in time 20 years, what would you tell yourself? And Asaf, we're going to start with you first. Don't sign a deal with a devil. Don't, don't sign a deal with the devil. And that's what I would say is when I came here and I'm grateful for it is do, do, do your due diligence to do it well. And I, and again, I'm grateful for the end result and I learned a lot, but part of the, part of the issues we had in the, in the concrete shop that I joined is there used to be a signatory shop, meaning a union shop. And when I joined where they were transitioning to be a non-signatory shop and we got sued for millions of dollars, you know, that that we were in a place that we, because it's union, uh, you know, it's uh, essentially the Arisa law, it's labor law. You, the second you're an owner of the business, you are become personally liable for any damages to the funds. And because you're acting as a trustee. 
And even if you're just an owner for a second, you're fully liable. And I, I would definitely do things differently. But I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that I would tell myself, don't sign that line. Do more research before you sign that dotted line. That's what I would tell myself. Did that teach you uh, that lesson for uh, other pieces of life since uh, 20 years ago? 100%. Yeah. Okay. It's not that's quite a, 20. It's a, not quite. Yeah. It, within the ballpark. That's yeah, then yeah. it's a great lesson. Then it's a great thing to yeah. share, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah. It was uh, definitely a great lesson that walks with me every day. And that's it, on a weekly basis, it, it comes up, you know. That's a great answer. John, how about you? If you could go back 20 years, what would you tell yourself? Well, just limiting, limiting, limiting it to business. Um, it's really simple. I had a lot of success 20 years ago, um, riding high on a lot of success. And um, I took my eye off the ball. I got distracted. I started taking my success for granted. Um, I stopped being as diligent about the business side of things. Uh, I stopped looking at the details. I stopped being disciplined about spending. And I even had some of my key employees come and say, you know, John, you're taking your eye off the ball and you're going to, you're going to blow this moment for yourself. And they were right, but I didn't want to face it. I was in one of those stubborn, smart, stubborn modes, banging my head against the wall. And it cost me a lot. I, I lost a lot of ground that I had to re regain. And it, it's not just easy. And, and there were years where there was doubt whether I would ever get even to the same place as I was before, let alone surpass it um, because of getting distracted, losing focus, taking my eye off the ball, and occupy, occupying myself with frivolous, meaningless things. And being the head of a business is a great responsibility. There are a lot of people's lives that depend on it. And so we, that's another sobering component of, you know, the stoic mindset is to, you know, kind of let those responsibilities be front and center and to take them seriously and to be faithful and to, and to pursue virtue, which is really at the end of the day, what Socrates was trying to do is figure out what is virtuous. What is that even? He was asking that as a question. He didn't act like he was the expert. He'd have all these conversations with people about what does it mean to pursue virtue, essentially. And in the same sense, that's what we do as a, a management consulting firm. We work with our clients and ask that question, what does it mean to pursue virtue within the context of your business, to have it maximize its potential? You know. And um, I'm, I'm proud of the team that we have. I'm glad uh, to myself apologize for the alarm going off, that um, somehow the good Lord saw fit to humble me and help me see that I needed to uh, let go of some control in my life and face myself in that mirror, face myself and and make some humble decisions. And, and now because of that, I, I've been set free. But if I could go back 20 years and somehow knock some sense into myself, to stay focused, to keep my eye on the ball, to not um, be reckless with my spending, to not think that, oh, it's all, it's going to keep raining money. You know, I, I wish I could go back and and convince myself. There's some uh, 
very thoughtful. And I think uh, a lot of painful experiences behind those words. I could hear it, but also a lot of learning there. So thank you for sharing that. And, and yeah. I, I feel like I, I really want to follow up on it from what I said and from what John said and cut it off in editing if you'd like. I would not be offended. It's really hard. You know, like I said, I would I learned a ton from my painful experiences, which made me so much stronger today that I can deal with things a lot bigger than that. So do I want to not experience that in the past? I know I don't want to experience it again in the future. That's the that's the learning from every moment. But you know what? We have to go through painful experiences to shape a better future if we know what to do with them. Right? So I just it's like I'm hedging this with going through that experience, being in federal court and defending six different lawsuits, have made me so much stronger. That I don't want to see myself without that power, right? It's like I always I tell John that that in business, when you you need to create scars, right? And what does it mean when you get a scar? It means that you've been through a painful experience, but more than that, you also survived, right? You're still alive. I have a scar. If you didn't survive, you don't have a scar. You're in a coffin, right? So. It means you've been through a painful experience and you survived. And I, I always tell that to John and, and others is put those cars in a place you can see it. So you remember, don't put it in the back, put it right in the front. You can see it and you can remember, yes, this is, you know, just like when you're, you know, when someone gets shot in the military, they're like, yeah, you know, that, that's, uh, I got, you know, that's from a battle in Iraq, right? It's like, yeah, this is from, you know, this car is from, you know, dealing with an angry customer that I should have never accepted. And since then, I, I rejected 10 of those, right? That That's what it, you should put in the front. You should be proud of it and learn from it and never forget that this car is there, right? That's, so it's hard. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to go through those experiences again, but I'm super grateful I've been through those experiences. And I think that John, in a way, will agree with that too. I'm sure almost everyone Say, yeah, I will tell myself, you know, what is it in France? Don't go on the plane. Did you go on the plane, right? Like, you know, you you want to undo those because you think you would have been better where you're at today, but where would have you been better? A, a lot of us watch the butterfly effect movie, right? I'm a big believer in the butterfly effect from a definition. You change one thing in the past, you don't know how it affects you in the future, right? You don't know how it affects you in the future. So... It's a hard question. It's I think the question. one, and again, you probably cut all this off, but I think the one difference between Asaf's story and my story, and, and you know, Asaf will admit he made some mistakes and all that, but largely what Asaf went through is something that happened to him, right? Whereas what I went through is something I inflicted on myself. And the, the main reason I regret isn't because of the impact it had on me, it's the impact it had on others around me. And then just in and and looking at those kinds of mistakes and being sorry, fine. You're sorry, you're forgiven. It doesn't mean those people didn't go through what they went through as a result of what you did. And you can be forgiven 
But if you can, if you can really think about what others had to go through because of bad decisions that you made and you can just blow it off, I think there's something wrong with you. There's something that, that isn't where it needs to be morally. And, and for me, when I, when I say the things that I would change, they, they have to do with things that I did that, that were, um, that had consequences to others mainly. And um, there's no way that I, I, regardless of whether I got to here or someplace else, um, if I could avoid that pain that my bad decisions caused other people, I would absolutely do that. And and where that kind of drives back to this podcast is I know there's a lot of people listening to this that are having struggles at home because of the pressure of their business, because of money problems, they're fighting with their spouse, they're they're mad at their kids. They're feeling like they can't let go of anger. And there is a way out of that. And it do, you don't have to blow up your whole life to get to that place. Get some help, whether it's counseling from a, you know, a friend or a pastor or a priest or a rabbi or, you know, an imam or whatever. Just find it. Or if it's getting business counseling from a company like Linker. Find it. You don't have to blow up your whole life. You don't. That very powerful, uh, gentlemen. Thank you. Unbelievable. Very powerful words. And uh, we're definitely going to keep that in there. So that <laughs> uh, all about that. So listeners, I hope you had at least a, a stoic amount of time, a good time. I know we did. Thank you both for being here. We're going to put all of your social, all that kind of stuff in the show notes. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Super simple. Lenker.com slash building scale. Oh, love that. Oh, yeah. All righty. Well, uh, listeners, until next time, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to Building Scale. To help us reach even more people, Please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep keep building building scale. scale.